you know, I would work from nine, 9.30 at night until 5.30, 6 in the morning. And I remember telling myself, hey, when my shift is over, there will not be a better looking aisle in all of high V than my aisle. It became a mindset of mine that, hey, if I'm gonna do something, even if it's not where I wanna be and I'm in the circumstances I don't wanna be in, I'm gonna do it with excellence. Visa, a network working for everyone. Overcoming the odds, rewriting the playbook, delivering under pressure. The MVPs of small business lead their teams to victory all year long. Visa is proud to provide playmakers everywhere with more tools to help grow their businesses and help them achieve even greater success. Because the more people we can empower, the more we all win. Visa, a network working for everyone. I'm Trent Dilfer, and welcome into Beyond the X's and O's. So this week's super cool. Get to sit down with Kurt Warner, dear friend of mine, a guy I played against, uh, watched the greatest show on turf in awe as he was lighting it up in St. Louis. Uh, but more importantly, in this conversation, one, he gives an incredible take that you don't want to miss on leadership. Um, here's a man that's spoken all over the world about leadership. Uh, he sits down and, and shares his philosophy with us and gives some really tangible examples how you can grow as a leader. Uh, he's got a big time movie coming out about a story and it's so cool to hear his perspective of being part of a movie, um, being produced about his life and his story. Uh, we talk about the impact he's having in the quarterback space at the professional level, collegiate level, and the high school level. Oh, and let's not forget, the guy is killing it on TV and we get his perspective on how he looks at the game of football, how he tries to teach it uh, through the lens uh, just a really fun conversation and a lot of meat in this conversation with Kurt Warner. So can't wait for you to hear it. Let's kick it off with Kurt. Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner, more importantly, one of the best dudes I know. Kurt, thank you so much for joining us on Beyond the X's and O's. You bet, brother, man. It's uh, it's fun to have you out here doing this. Uh, I know that this is a bit of your world as you got a million things going on, but uh, we need more voices like this out there. So happy to uh, to join you. Well, jumping back in the media world a little bit, I took a few year hiatus from it, but uh, this is about you. And I've been starting this by asking a really cool question, I think. All right. So you played high school football in Iowa. Talk to me about Friday night lights in Iowa. And then more specifically, walk me through not just who you played and what happened, but the feelings behind your first high school start and then eventually your first high school touchdown pass. Like all of us. I mean, I think every game I was nervous, but uh, my first game was definitely nervous. You know, I didn't start playing quarterback until I was in high school. I didn't start playing quarterback until I was a freshman in high school. And, you know, I could probably say through most of high school, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just back there winging the ball around because nobody really taught me. But that's when you're nervous. You're like, okay, I know I'm a good athlete, but I don't really know what I'm doing. But it's great to have the ball in my hands every snap and have a chance to to make a play. So I was always nervous about it. And, you know, you also know back in the day, it wasn't like today where you're throwing the ball 35 times. You know, you're hoping to throw for 150 yards and you're like, man, that's a big game. You throw for 150, you hit 200, man, this is, this is huge. And so you only got so many opportunities to throw the football back in that era. Um, but that was great because you only had 15, 18 opportunities to make it work and to make big plays. And, um, you know, so that's kind of what I remember about high school football was relishing every opportunity, relishing those games when I did get to throw the ball 20 times and just being out there and making plays. I think so much of high school football, again, has changed now. Coaching it, understanding all the tutelids that's out there and the, and the you know, quarterback coaches that are out there and the, and the coaches that have been around and go to all these clinics. At that time for sports, it was just, Give me all my buddies and put a ball in our hands and let us go compete. Let us go find ways to just play and have fun uh, and, and compete and enjoy the competition part of it. So those were kind of the things when I reflect back on high school football that really stood out to me and what, what I loved about that time. Now, if I get this correctly, you're about six, two and a half, played about 220. Is that Close enough in the NFL not days? Quite, never, never quite hit 6'2", but it's always like that in the program. So I'll take 6'2". Um, and yeah, I was, you know, in, in the NFL, I was a 220, 225 guy, yes. So what'd you weigh at that first varsity start? 
Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, it, it, again, that's another thing that's so funny about now is that, you know, I was one of the bigger kids, almost 6'2 then. I graduated high school at 185, so I don't know what my weight was my first start. You know, and my son, you know, is about six foot now. He plays quarterback and he's weighing like 195, 190, and he kind of fluctuates there. And I look at him and I'm like, there's no way you are bigger than I was in high school. There is just absolutely no way. But these kids are so much bigger and stronger than we were. But it just, it doesn't feel like that, you know, because I'm still the same height. Uh, you know, I feel like I was bigger. But yeah, I graduated high school at 185 pounds, um, you know, at, at about 6'2". And I was one of the bigger guys. I was one of the more filled out guys that we had. You know, I had offensive guards that were 160, uh, you know, guys that were playing, you know, at, at those lower weights. So it was just a different brand of football. Um, but now it's just, it's amazing as you coach it, as you know, uh, man, these kids are, are amazing. I think half these kids have stronger arms now than I ever had uh, when they're 17 and 18 years old. But that doesn't mean they can play the game like I did, Trent. So we got, we got to make sure that they know that. We know that we're going to get a lot into that, but you touched on something I think is really important. It's it's been a theme uh, so far with a lot of these conversations I've had and the journeys that a lot of us went on as quarterbacks. Multi-sport athlete, right? So basketball and baseball, am I correct? As long as well as football, I, I played everything. So yeah, I mean, yeah. organized. I played those three sports throughout high school, um, but yeah, it didn't matter. I mean, I, I played you know intramural volleyball. I played soccer. Uh, it didn't matter. You know, when we were playing, it was, what season is it? Okay, give me that ball and let's go play. And then yep. when there wasn't a season going on, I was playing intramural, whatever. Softball, like I said, volleyball was one of my favorites. But um, yeah, everything. I mean, it's it just, that to me was what was so much fun about growing up was it was never just about one thing. I enjoyed the different competitions. I enjoyed trying my hand at different things and, and, and figuring out my role with a different, you know, in, in a different unit, because obviously sometimes you're the superstar and then other times you're not the superstar and you got to find your way as a six man or, you know, as the guy that's hitting eighth in the lineup because you, you're not the best hitter. And, uh, and I loved that part of it. And I think it shaped so much of who I became as a football player, but you know, who I became as a person. And so I'm at the point now, I mean, I have seven kids, but my, my kids that have played sports, I'm always forcing them to play more than one sport. I don't ever want them to specialize. I want them to be able to enjoy the other parts of it and experience that. And, and I just think we become better athletes uh, playing numerous sports and learning the skills and the traits that go into that. I mean, even in college, when I went to college, uh, as soon as the season was over, I was playing basketball every single day. That was a huge part of my training all the way through the NFL was playing basketball, picking up a ball and going out and competing in that way when, when I wasn't in season. So uh, I have always been a guy that, that loves every sport and I played them as much and as often as I could. There's a reason why you're a great broadcaster too, because I was going to try to dig deeper into the multi-sport athlete thing. And you just segued yourself into why multi-sport athletes why it's so important to be a multi-sport athlete. But I, one of the purposes of the show, Kurt, as you know, was to help other people on their journeys, learning from yep. some of the greatest of all time or the guys that are doing it better than anybody else in present day. So let's go a little bit deeper on this multi-sport athlete thing and learning different roles because that's earth-shattering yep. to some of these parents, to some of these kids. <laughs> hey, if I'm not the star, if I'm not the starter, right. if I'm not getting everything given to me, well, then I'm going to go do something else. Talk to me just briefly about how those lessons translated as you went on further in your journey as a quarterback. Yeah. I mean, they, they trans, translate it in so many different ways. I mean, the first thing is, is just the work ethic is the idea that, okay, I'm not the best, but I still want to be the best. Like I might be the sixth man, but I want to be a starter. And so it generates a level of having to compete and having to work to earn something, you know, because again, a lot of us are in high school and, you know, we play at these schools where there's, you know, there's a handful of really good athletes. So you naturally will gravitate to the top. But, you know, I love the fact that I had to work at things, that I had to put in extra time, that, that I had to develop myself to become a great player in those sports. And, you know, ultimately, you know, I mean, I played in the NFL and, and was able to have a great productive career, but I was also benched three times in the NFL found myself as a backup numerous times. And, you know, you have to learn how to do that. 
you have to learn how to be a teammate when you're not the superstar. You know, it's easy when you're the superstar and things are going your direction to go, okay, it's good to be a teammate. I can pat my, my buddy on the shoulder. You know, I can cheer for, for the guys that are out there when I'm not out there, when I know I'm going to be out there. It's a whole different thing when you go, okay, you're gonna stay over here on the bench and you're not gonna get a chance to play. Now, what kind of teammate are you gonna be? Now, can you cheer your guys on? Now, are you gonna work just as hard in practice as you would, you know, cause you know, I, I, I always say this is that, I don't know how many quarterbacks over the, in the history of time I've heard that are backups that say, oh, I prepare like I'm a starter. It's impossible to prepare like you're a starter when you're not a starter. Let's just be honest. So we can just cut that out. And I know it's it sounds brutal. great. Right. Well, and, it, and it sounds great. But you can't do it. But sometimes you find yourself in that role and you've got to do the best you can to be a great teammate and, and to help prepare your team and, and to encourage your team when you're not in the place you want to be. That is a really, really tough thing to do. And so, you know, there's just so many lessons and so many things that shape you because uh, because we know is that very few guys are the superstar in high school or the superstar in college or the superstar in the NFL and they retire the superstar. It doesn't happen very often. So all of those things that I went through just taught me certain lessons and taught me certain values and characteristics that would be utilized gosh, numerous times throughout my career. And it, and it would shape me and it would push me. Um, and that's not even to say that, you know, I talk about being an athlete. And to me, you can have athletic skills. You can jump really high. You can run really fast. But to me, that's not being a great athlete. Being a great athlete is the ability to control your body, the ability to, to, to maneuver and understand spacing and be able to react to things and, and your eyes connecting to your body and being able to tie those things together. That to me was such a huge part of playing other sports. You know, practicing quarterback sucks. Like, you know, to go out there, I mean, how many times am I gonna do drops? Like really do drops, like for how long? You know, how much am I going to work on footwork? You know, how much can I really get a sense of, okay, I'm going to, coach is going to run at me and I'm going to pretend like he's a pass rusher and I'm going to react to that. Well, okay, I know he's coming and I'm going to react and whatever. It, it's just really hard to do. But I just believe there's so many correlations. I, to me, it's not, um, you know, it's not a coincidence that we have so many quarterbacks in the NFL that play baseball. And these guys have the, unbelievable ability to control their body and throw the football off platform. Why? Because in baseball, you don't always get to get the, you know, get the backhand at, at shortstop and set your feet and step and attack first base. Nope. Sometimes you're going towards third base and you got to get it to first base and you learn how to play with your core and you learn how to direct the ball with your body. You know, I, I remember growing up watching basketball. I was a huge basketball fan and I would always marvel at guys that would jump up, like go up for a layup and they would jump up and a defender would come and they kind of turn their body and they protect the ball and they bang on the defender and then they get the ball up and shoot a layup. And I'm like, man, how in the world do they do that? And you go and play and you learn, man, I have the ability while I'm in the air to control my body and move my body and engage my core. And if you know anything about playing quarterback, it's all about engaging your core and connecting it and being able to, to move and drive your body in a six inch space when I don't have my feet, when my feet might be off the ground or they're going a different direction. So there's just so many athletic skills and traits that I developed by playing other sports that I would have never practiced on a football field. I, you, you just can't do it and you can't feel it and you can't react. You know, when you're sitting at shortstop, you don't know where the ball is going to go. You know, if your coach says, I'm going to hit it to this side and you're going to go this way, or I'm going to rush you and you're going to have to avoid the rush. Well, that's not the game. The game is I'm going to throw a 12 yard curl and then boom, all of a sudden my guard gets beat and there's a guy in my face and I got to react and make a play. And the only way for me that, that I believe you can really teach reacting and playing and being athletic is to do it. I'm not going to go out there as a coach and teach you to be athletic. You have to learn how to be athletic. And to me, the only way to do that is to play, uh, you know, to play different athletics and to play sports where you have to react and be able to tie the mind to the body. And that to me is where you get great athletes in general, but you get great quarterback play. Amen. I feel like I want to raise my hands and say, hallelujah, amen. <laughs> and I think every quarterback in the world should listen yeah. to what you just talked about right there. And I'm going to give you a chance to talk about 
uh, all the things you're doing today to help young quarterbacks, quarterbacks from the NFL, college, high school space, really having a huge impact. But let's go to break real quick. When we come back, we'll talk to Kerr about his journey at Northern Iowa uh, and his journey in the NFL. We'll be right back. Hi, football fans. Trent Dilfer here to tell you that NFLSundayTicket.tv is like having front row seats to every live out-of-market game every Sunday afternoon, no matter where you live. That's a lot of football. And guess what? This season, you get even more football than ever before. 18 weeks of NFL glory right there in your front room. Stream to your favorite device. Just picture it. You put your feet up, kick back, eat snacks. Oh, yeah and stream an insane amount of football. So make your seat a front row seat and catch every second of your favorite players and your favorite teams every Sunday afternoon. To see if you are eligible, go online to nflsundayticket.tv slash sundayready and stream every NFL Sunday Ticket game this season to follow your favorite team no matter where you live. Use promo code DILFER2021 at checkout to save 15%. Exclusive student discounts also available. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? I know life gets heavy. We talk to quarterbacks all the time about the pressure of NFL and college football. And it's okay not to be okay. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating under 48 hours. Now keep in mind, it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. And this service is available for clients worldwide. You can log in to your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So take advantage of the special offer for Beyond the X's and O's listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Dilfer. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Dilfer to join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. My life is nuts. Whether I'm coaching high school football on Friday nights, watching college quarterbacks on Saturday, or watching NFL guys rip dimes on Sunday, I am always needing that extra shot of energy, and I live on this triple shot. Starbucks Triple Shot Energy, extra strength coffee beverage in a can. That's Starbucks coffee that you love, ready to drink. Four core flavors, vanilla, dark roast, cafe mocha, and now available in two zero sugar flavors, black and vanilla. So what gives you energy? Find your Starbucks Triple Shot Energy online or at your local store. Kurt, that was unbelievable stuff, just about your high school journey, all the stuff on being a multi-sport athlete, what being an athlete really means, all the things you learned um, from those experiences. I want to now transition. One, were you, how highly recruited were you after high school? Not very. I mean, I, yeah, I, got, I really got, I ended up getting one scholarship offer, um, you know, to play, to play football coming out of high school. Same story with me. I think a lot of us have that same experience. It's not like today when recruiting is this multi-million dollar business and kids are doing videos on releasing their, uh, not just their commitment, but who they've limited their final five to. A little uh, yeah. jaw-dropping to me. What are your thoughts kind of on the modern-day quarterback and what they go through during the recruiting process, knowing that your son uh, is going through it now? It's so hard because I, I think so much of what our experience is, it shapes us. And so, you know, I think there's obviously great tools that are out there. I mean, social media, are you kidding me? I mean, what a great tool to have, you know, if things happen. So I look at my son and obviously he went through the COVID, the pandemic. And so he missed kind of the recruiting process when he was coming off his sophomore year, breaks his ankle uh, in the first quarter of the first game as a junior. And so here he is, he's basically missed two cycles of recruiting because limited time and because of the pandemic, 
what a great tool social media is to go out in the backyard and, and put together these videos and, and throw them out there. And, you know, and he's generated some scholarship offers and people seeing him and people that are interested in him and inviting him to camps and, and all that stuff. And so, you know, there, there's unbelievable tools that are out there and ways to get exposure now that we never had, which, you know, from that side, you know, I'm more power to you. I mean, no matter what level you're at to, to build your brand and to get notoriety, but as we always say, there, there's the positive and there's always the negative of, of the recruiting. You know, who, who gives the stars? You know, who was that guy? You know, what, what does he know about the position that you're playing to give you three stars, four stars, five stars? You know, social media. You know, how many kids have you come across that look at the crosstown kid that has five scholarship offers and goes, what in the world? I'm so much better than this guy. And I'm like, well, his scholarships are not your scholarship, son. So quit worrying about his. Be happy for him to get his. Now go earn yours. But but you can see all of that stuff. And, you know, there's an easy way to, to generate that negativity and and to, you know, to, to look at different things and kids getting so hung up in that part of the process. And you have the mega camps, which it sounds great. I'm going to get in front of 120 college coaches, but you're going to go there and you're going to get 15 throws and what does that mean? You know, is that good for you? Is it not good for you? And I was talking to somebody the other day. And so like my son, not the biggest guy, um, you know, he's not a guy that's going to throw the ball through a wall and, but he's going to make every throw and he's going to be really accurate. But you go to a mega camp and I tell him, you're not going to do anything that's going to wow anybody. That doesn't mean you're not the best quarterback there, but you're not that guy that's six foot six that wings the ball 80 yards and people are going, wow, look at that guy. So, you know, you have to be judicial about what's the right camp? What's the right place to go? What's the right school for me? And so I just think there's there's so much going on out there, both positive and negative, that it's I think it's really hard to navigate for a 17-year-old and trying to figure out their future and, and the ups and downs and the highs and lows of recruiting uh, where it can be great for one kid it can be completely awful for another kid, um, just depending on where you fall and how somebody sees you and, and, and what camps you go to, what area you're in. So I just think it's, it's really hard because I don't want to sit here and say it's all negative because I don't think it is. I think there's some great opportunities out there. But I also believe that there's ways that it can be done better and it needs to be done in a way that looks at the kid and not about the coaching and not about the organization. And I don't think there is enough of that. And so parents that are listening, kids that are listening, tread lightly on it. Understand what it is. Be able to talk to people that have been through it to have an expectation because I think it can really beat up a kid, um, you know, that, that finds themselves going through some of those struggles or, or trying to find their way. It can really beat up a kid because it's there 24 seven. It's access there. You know, it can, it can consume your life. And I think that was one of the beautiful things back to when I, we were playing in high school is, man, I didn't care. Okay, football season's over. Give me a basketball. Let me go play. Yes, I want to play professional football. Yes, I want to play professional basketball. Okay, I'm going to go play and be the best player and have the best experience I can. And then we'll let the cards, you know, shake out as they do. And I'll take my opportunity from there. Whereas now I just think that it consumes these kids so much that they're missing out on one of the greatest times of their life, just enjoying sport and enjoying their friends and being able to go out for basketball, even if you're going to be the seventh man, because you want to be around your five best friends every single day at practice, instead of going, well, I'm never going to go to college in basketball. So let me work a whole nother three months on my football skills. And so I, I just, you know, positives, negatives, ups and downs, um, and so, you know, I just think it's it's something that everybody has to really go into with open mind and open eyes to know what it's all about. Because I can't say that me and my kids have had a tremendous experience with it. Um, and I know there's a lot of factors there that I don't just point and say, oh, that's everybody else's fault. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's led to some negative things with, with some of my boys trying to figure out the process. And I never want them to lose any time being a kid, being a young man, dreaming about their future because the recruiting process doesn't go exactly like they want it to. Oh, such good stuff. But, you know, that one team did fall in love with you and you did get your scholarship to Northern Iowa. Talk yep. to me about that journey. Have a little story time here and tell us about what that felt like 
football season did end and you got this chance to go play college football. What was that moment like? I mean, I didn't care where I was playing. I just felt like ball in my hands. I'm going to show people that I can play like I always have. Uh, and then I went off to college. And as the story goes, I ended up sitting on the bench for four years in college, was redshirted. And then, you know, sat on the bench for three years in college and finally got the opportunity to play my senior year. And um, by far the most frustrating time of my life, um, most confusing time. Uh, you know, my journey is, is well documented, but it was the really the one time in my career um, while I was trying to get to the NFL where I actually thought about quitting. And because I, I couldn't figure it out, I didn't really know what was going on. I was in a situation where I felt like talent-wise, I was the most talented guy there. And I don't know if you had it growing up, but I always believed, you know, that sports was all about if you're the best guy for the job, you'll get the job, right? If you're, you know, the guy that can help the team or the most talented guy or however that shakes out, you get the job. We both know as you get to the higher levels, that's not always the case. It's not always about that. And so it was a really frustrating time for me because physically I felt like I was the best quarterback. But it was a great lesson that I learned in college is that just being able to throw it better than another guy does not make you the best guy for the job, does not make you the best quarterback. I remember I had a, a friend that played with me in college, he was couple, or in high school, he was a couple years older than me and uh, also played with me in college. And you know, after a couple of years on the bench, I asked him if he would go up and just talk to the coaches and, and help me try to figure out why I wasn't playing because you know, all my teammates felt like I was the better guy. And again, going off of the limited reps they saw, the spring ball practices, the times that, you know, we all felt physically I was the better guy. So I just asked him if he would go up and talk to the coaches about why I wasn't playing and what I was missing in this whole thing. And I'll never forget the conversation that it was the two of us in the locker room when he came back down. And, you know, he came and he said, well, I talked to the coaches and they told me that the reason you're not starting is because you're not very good in practice. And, you know, I had my Allen Iverson moment at the time and it was like, what? We're talking about practice, like practice. We're not talking about games. We're not talking about you know spring game. We're talking about practice. Like you're kidding me. That this is all about what you do under the lights. And that was my first thought when that happened. And you know, you you go home kind of shaking your head, like, come on, is that really you know the argument here? And the more I started contemplating it and thinking about it, Trent, and, and again going back to what I was talking about, that the uniqueness of football is. You play whatever, nine games in high school, maybe it's you know more now, 10, 12 games. You play you know, 11 games in college. You play 16 games, 17 now in the NFL. And the more I got to think about it, the more I thought, man, 99% of the time that my coaches see me, my teammates see me is in practice. It is mm -hmm. what I do every day, is how I show up, what they can expect from me if I'm running scout team and the ball's in my hands, what can they expect from me when I walk into the weight room and all those things that are practice? How do I show up for the meetings? Am I on time? That the impressions that we make, and you know, you can take that even farther. I got seven kids. To think that the, the, the biggest impression I have on my kids is when I get up on my soapbox and I give them a lecture and say, well, you need to do this and you need to be, no. Where I make the biggest impression on my kids is when they're watching me interact with other people, when they're watching how I love their mom, when, they, when they're seeing how maybe I'm coaching their friends on a practice field or, or how I'm you know, dealing with one of their siblings, that's what they see. That's how they come to realize who dad is, is through practice and how people come to realize who we are as people and players and what we bring to the table as a quarterback is what we do every day in practice. And so as hard as that time was for me, that was one of the greatest lessons that I ever learned uh, about life and about football is you got to bring it every day. You got to show me what to expect from you every single day. I, I can't just wait until you get under the lights and then decide, oh, can you be a great leader? Can you be a great player when the lights are on? No, I need you to convince me now and every moment from now that you can handle those moments and then you'll get your opportunity and then you'll have to show me that you can handle it. And so, um, you know, there's moments like that throughout my journey that really uh, catapulted me to another place, uh, as I said, character-wise, as an individual, as a person, but also as a player that I never would have learned 
had it not been some of those moments where I found myself on the bench. I found myself struggling. It was the moment where I was ready to quit because I'm thinking life isn't fair. And you learn these lessons that end up becoming a part of, of who you are. It becomes a part of your DNA. And to me, it ultimately was the reason that I, I had the career that I did and was able to, to work through some of those moments. And when I got benched, finding my way back to the field and showing people that I belong and I belonged as a starter was because of those things that I learned. And, and that was a huge lesson that I learned along the way. Incredible. Ladies and gentlemen, you're getting a sermon on uh, how to reach your human potential from Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner. Uh, and you answered a lot of this next question in the way you answered the last one, but I want you to maybe even crystallize a little bit more. You know, you look up Google leadership and you're going to get 8 billion different definitions and books written about it and different voices. And so I, I like to ask uh, these people that have truly led at the highest level like yourself, uh, what does leadership look like to you? How would you define it? Um, how would yeah. you stamp leadership? Well, the first thing I always say when I talk to people about leadership is that there is no cookie cutter way to lead. There are a million different books out there. There are a million great leaders out there and they all do it differently. And so I'm a, I'm a big believer that leadership always has to be genuine. It has to be true to who you are because we all know anytime you spend time, you know, a lot of time around anybody, you know who they truly are. You know, when you're in a locker room, people know your character. They understand who you are and, and, and what is the authentic you. So I believe leadership has to be authentic. Now, that doesn't mean that it only looks one way. I can be the quiet leader, but sometimes I got to get loud. I can be the loud leader, but sometimes I need to lead by example instead of words. And so there's a lot of ways to do it. But A, I believe leadership always has to be uh, genuine, has to be true. And you've got to develop your own leadership skills that work for you and that fit with your personality. Second thing is I believe leadership is all about respect, is that no one's ever going to follow you until they respect you. And so the key for any great leader is to learn, how do I earn somebody's respect? And there, again, there was a million different ways. For me, I always wanted to be a leader that had the most knowledge. I wanted to be the smartest guy in every room because I knew if I was the smartest guy, if I knew something that could help someone else, or I knew and always had an answer for somebody's question, that automatically, uh, you know, respect automatically derived from having more knowledge than anyone else. So that was one that I, I thought was always key. Work, you know, everybody talks about working harder, you know, showing people what working harder looks like. Uh, to be the hardest worker is another way to earn respect. You know, to be able to meet different guys where they're at, to be able to connect with guys where they're at, not expecting them to come to you is another area we can learn. So, so there's just, there's so many different things, you know, now as, as a coach, because of my career, because of my journey, I've got a, a level of respect there. But the bottom line is it's tough to get anybody to listen to you or follow you without having their respect. Yes, you can put me in a leadership role, but that doesn't mean I'm going to lead people. That, you know, Because we always have things that, oh yeah, you have to lead this group of people because they're underneath you, so to speak. But the bottom line is they don't have to do anything. I mean, they might have to you know, do it so they can get their paycheck or do whatever. But truly following somebody, being a true leader means people want to follow you. People are willing to follow you. And so to me, the second aspect is always respect. And then the third aspect to me to be a great leader is you got to make the people around you believe. You've got to make them believe that what you're telling them can happen. And uh, again, there's lots of ways to do it. But uh, you know, that's the bottom line. You walk into a huddle as the quarterback, two minutes on the clock in the Super Bowl, and you say, guys, we got this. We can do this. And they've got to look back at you and go, you know what? I believe this guy. You know, great example for me is, uh, you know, last Super Bowl that I played in, Super Bowl 43. You know, we're going into to halftime we're on the one yard line, 10-7 score. We got a chance to take the lead at halftime. We're a team that nobody expected to A, be in the Super Bowl, and we weren't supposed to even have a chance to win it. And here we go. We got a chance to go into halftime with the lead. Everybody knows that I throw the interception to James Harrison, the longest interception return for a touchdown in Super Bowl history, goes back, uh, and he, he scores a touchdown, and we go into halftime down 17-7. to And you walk into the locker room, and every eye is on you going, dude, you just lost us the Super Bowl. Like, it, it's over. You threw that interception. Game's over. 
Now what? And you know, I had to look back and I go, there is nothing I can say in this moment that is going to convince these guys anything different. All I knew was when I get out there in the third quarter and when we step into the huddle, I'm gonna let them know, guys, we got this. Just follow me and I'll show you. And, and it didn't matter what I said, I had to show them play by play, throw by throw, down by down, until we took that lead with two and a half minutes to go in the Super Bowl. And you know, sometimes that's what happens is, is you've got to convince guys to believe that you can do what you're telling them you can do. You know, and, and I've just seen it numerous times. And so that to me is the third aspect that always makes a great leader is you have the ability to get people to believe in what you're telling them. When you say, follow me, they believe if they follow you, the results will come and the, you know they'll get to wherever you're telling them they're gonna to get to. That's incredible. I, you know, it's, Kurt, it's so cool that you're doing this. The heartbeat of the show was to talk to people that have reached the pinnacle, right? You're a gold jacket guy, you're one of few. Uh, the people that are greatest at what they do, and then let people listen to the journey, how they think, what they've endured, what they've gone through, how they've handled adversity, how they lead, and then learn from some of the greatest of all time so that their journeys can be greater. And, uh, man, you've given us so much. And, and we're going to get to some of the flash and sizzle of people. You won't be surprised that after Kurt's done winning Super Bowls and winning MVPs and – uh, getting in the Hall of Fame and becoming a big-time broadcaster that he's actually incredibly influencing the next generation of quarterback in other ways, and we'll get into that when we come back from the next break. Now is the time to celebrate. The first NFL Sunday of the season is about to kick off, and DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the NFL, is putting you in the center of this week's action. New customers can get a free shot at a $1 million top prize with their first deposit by signing up using code DILFER. Get in on the action now. It's simple. Just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Feel the NFL action like never before with a free shot at a $1 million payday. Download the DraftKings app now and use code DILFER. This week, new customers get a free shot at the $1 million top prize and compete for millions in prizes across all contests. Enter code DILFER to get a free shot at the $1 million top prize with your first deposit. That's code DILFER only at DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the NFL. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, Kurt, so Northern Iowa, get to play that last year. You're going to have a chance to play professional football, chase your dream. Uh, but your journey to the NFL is a little bit different. And you play in the Arena Football League, you play in NFL Europe. But really the question here is, for those guys still chasing their dreams, say you're a guy that played at Central Michigan, you didn't get drafted, you're trying to get on a roster, you're trying to play football somewhere. What did you learn, the type of football you were playing in the Arena game, as well as NFL Europe, that when you got to the show, that you're like, oh, well, I, I developed this trait while I was playing in those other two yeah. leagues. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go back a step farther, Trent, because I just think there's a, a key moment. So when I, I got done playing at Northern Iowa, I did get an opportunity to go to camp with the Green Bay Packers. Yep. And so I went to camp with the Packers, and at that time they had Favre, Ty Detmer, Mark Brunel, were all in camp. And so, uh, you know, I remember when, when I went to camp there and, you know, you get a chance to see these players and Favre was just kind of coming into his own. And, you know, the, the amazing thing about it is I only lasted five weeks in camp before I got cut. But in that five weeks, uh, I gained so much confidence being able to rub shoulders and, and go throw for throw with some of these great quarterbacks. And so, you know, like oftentimes you go into a camp and you get cut or, or something happens and, and you go away and your confidence is lacking and you're wondering, oh, can I do this? For me, it was the exact opposite. I got there, I competed against these guys and I left going, I can play this game. I can play at this level. There is no doubt about it. Now, I just got to figure out the next opportunity. And that became the hardest part of it. It wasn't the confidence to believe that I could do it or believe in I had the skill set. It was presenting myself with another opportunity to play. And so went from Green Bay's camp. And as the infamous story goes, I ended up working in a grocery store 
after that. And, um, you know, in my Hall of Fame speech, uh, one of the lines I used, you know, about that time was that sometimes you got to do what you got to do while you're waiting to do what you were born to do. And, uh, and I just think that's a, that's a key moment in my journey because that's what I think most people's journey is. And maybe not, you know, on the football field, but uh, in life is that we have those moments where it's like, man, how did I get here? And how do I get from here to where I want to go? And so I found myself working in a grocery store and um, it's easy to kind of wallow in how did I get here and how am I going to get out of here and all this stuff. And I remember, you know, after a couple of days embracing it and going, you know what, the bottom line is I'm here. And if I'm here, what can I do in this moment that will help me to get to where I want to go eventually? And so I remember, you know, I don't know if you ever worked in a grocery store, Trent, but uh, you know, I stock shelves gas at night. Station. And, As a gas station guy. Okay, gas pizza. station. All right. Pizza, pizza. So I'm sure you had some some little things that you had to do. So I stocked the shelves at night, and then at the night at the end of every night, we had to face the shelves. And so what that meant was we had to pull all the product. You know, if the shelves weren't full, we had to pull all the products to the front of the aisle, and we had to line up the labels. So if you have baby food, you know, you got to make sure the labels looking out and it tells you whatever. And so I remember that you know I would work from. 9, 9.30 at night until 5.36 in the morning. And I remember telling myself, hey, when my shift is over, there will not be a better looking aisle in all of Hy-Vee than my aisle. And the funny thing is, is I know nobody noticed. I know that the, you know, the, the businessman or woman that came in at 5.30 in the morning to grab something had no idea. They didn't even notice that, you know, or somebody you coming did. in to you try to- You noticed it. But it didn't matter because it became a mindset of mine that, hey, if I'm going to do something, even if it's not where I want to be and I'm in the circumstances I don't want to be in, I'm going to do it with excellence. I am going to live with excellence even in the smallest things. And so here I am, I'm getting cut from Green Bay, building confidence, I'm working in a grocery store. I'm building a mindset that would ultimately take me to the next step, which was arena football. And, um, you know, it's just so ironic because so many people look at me as an NFL player and they say, okay, you know, what Kurt did better than anybody was he had a quick release. He made quick decisions. He was accurate with the football. Um, and he goes, there's no doubt that arena football made me better at those things. And that's really what refined my skills. And, and I look back at that time and I always ask myself, what do you think it was, Trent? What came first, the chicken or the egg? Was... Uh, were these skills that, that I had and the best way for me to showcase them was to play in a league that was smaller, that was faster, that forced accuracy and decision-making and all of those things, or did I not have those skills and playing arena football would teach me those skills and refine those skills that would ultimately become the things that would separate me at the next level. I don't know the answer to it. But what I do know is my time in, in, in arena football and in Europe was the ultimate training ground for me, is that I went back to the Green Bay story. And one of the reasons I did was because when I was in Green Bay, I, I mentioned Brett Favre, he was coming into his own. From the moment I was cut in 1994, Trent, to the moment I retired in 2009, Brett Favre did not miss a single start in the National Football League. Not a single start of the National Football League. So had I made the Green Bay Packer team, I would have undoubtedly been a backup for how long? Three, four years. Maybe it would have parlayed into another opportunity like a Matt Hasselback or an Aaron Brooks or somebody like that. Maybe. But in that period of time, I played more football and was in more situations and had more opportunities to compete than any backup in the history of football. Yes, it was in arena football and nobody knew about it. Yes, it was over in Europe and Amsterdam and nobody knew about it, but it didn't matter. It was shaping me as a player because I was playing football and I was competing and I was learning the craft. I played one year in college. I needed more seasoning. So when I came back in 99, you know, a lot of people are like, man, how did everybody miss Kurt Warner? How could you not see, you know, his talent? Man, I was not anywhere close to the, to the quarterback coming out of college that I was when I came back in 99. And when I came back in 99, both as a person and as a player, I was refined. I knew what I believed in. I had a level of confidence that there was no doubt at that point I was ready. Give me the opportunity and I will succeed in this moment. But I needed my training ground. 
And that's another thing that I think is such a great lesson is that we all want to believe we can do anything right now and we have all the skills and there's nothing we can't do. I just think we always have to be truly honest with ourselves if we want to make a true run. And we've got to be able to recognize the things we have to get better at. And that period of time showed me those things. It helped teach me those things. And it forced me to get better at the things that would ultimately become the things that would separate me at the next level. And, you know, a big period of time, and I say this all the time, it's easy to look back when the journey's over. Because for a long period of time, I was always, I was, you know, you and me being men of faith, I was always asking, God, why me? You know, why do I got to be the guy that sits on the bench? And why do I got to be the guy that's cut and working in a grocery? Why couldn't I be the number one overall pick? And I look back now and I look at my journey and I look at my story. And you mentioned the movie and I know we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And I look back and I go, God, why me? Why did you choose me for this one of a kind, unique journey that I believe connects with more people? And again, not that Tom Brady, we know he's the greatest ever play, but his story and his journey won't connect with nearly as many people as my journey will. Peyton Manning, unbelievable, great at what he did, but my journey was unique and it was so true to what I think most people go through that I look back now and I go, God, why, why did you choose me? I'm not giving it back and I'm going to take it. I'm going to run with it, but I see it from a completely different perspective than when I was going through it. And I'm so grateful that some of those bumps in the road were there because ultimately I am not the player and I am not the person I am without each and every one of those training grounds along the way. I can't wait for to watch the movie. I mean, I know you, I know the story, I know your family, and I still can't wait to see the movie. Mm. People gotta be crazy not to go see this movie and we'll talk about it a little bit later. But one thing you said is, you know, you got to go play, play all this football you get back to the NFL and it's not just where you landed, it's with who you landed. Two relationships I want you to talk about. Coach Dick Vermeil and a player you mentioned in your Hall of Fame speech, Trent Green. Uh, just talk about the importance of those relationships. Somewhere along the way, you need somebody to give you an opportunity. You need somebody to give you a step ladder and, and give you that chance to showcase who you are and, and, and what you're all about. And, um, and Dick Vermeil was that guy for me. And that, not that he was the only one, but, you know, the coolest thing is that sometimes we need to take a step back and see in other people what somebody else saw in us. And that to me is, is what Dick Vermeil meant to me was he was willing to step out of the box and step away from what, you know, the parameters of the sport say is, well, we got to go with the guys that make a lot of money or the guys that played at the biggest schools, or the guys that, you know, are the most talented or that we, you know, we, you know, we drafted high, all that stuff. And he was able to step out of the box and go, you know what? I see you and I see something unique about you. And we all have those people in our stories that see that. And by them saying, I see that, I'm going to give you a chance. It elevates us to a different place in life and a different level of confidence and a different accountability to things. That's what Dick meant to me. To this day, I mean, I talk to Dick all the time. You know Dick. He's an unbelievable human being and the way he deals with people. But the most ironic thing is when I think about Dick and in our relationship and all of that, in my mind, we were together for like, you know, half of my career or we were together for 10 years. If you go back and look at it, I was a third string quarterback in, in 98. And then I played one year for Dick Vermeil. He retired after our Super Bowl win in 99. But the impact that he had on me, I still feel to this day, like we have known each other forever. He, he was, you know, my head coach for so long, but it was one year. And it just speaks to the individual that he was and the way he spoke into my life and the impact that he had, had it on me and, and his ability to see me in a different light than everyone else sees you. And that to me is, uh, is such a key component that, I try to bring now, I have to think about that, you know, cause I don't think a lot of us think about that. We're so focused on, on us and, and what we have to do. And, and, you know, Dick being focused on him having to win, or he's going to get kicked out of the league to slow down and go, you know what? I recognize something that somebody else is missing in this guy. And I want to make sure that I bring it to his attention. I want to show him and let him know that. I, and so that's what my relationship and what Dick meant to me. And the other guy that you talked about, Trent Green. And so, you know, you know, you've heard a million Hall of Fame speeches and it's such a hard speech to give because 
there are so many people that are instrumental in your journey and there are so many teammates, you know, that I, I couldn't just get up there and, and thank the Marshall Falks and the Orlando Paces and the Isaac Bruce's, even though obviously as great players, they were, they were key in, in me having success. But every teammate that I had was key in me having success. Even the guys that didn't get the notoriety, even the guys. And so in my Hall of Fame speech, there was only one teammate that I thanked individually by name. And that teammate was Trent Green. And, um, and there's a couple reasons why is that the first reason why is because that year in 99, Trent had signed on and he had gone through a little bit of a journey too. He was out of the league for a year and he was teaching and he found his way back in and he earned his opportunity to get this big contract with the Rams. And, uh, you know, we put this team together and in preseason, he was like 29 for 32 in preseason. I mean, he was just unbelievable. In preseason. I remember that. Yeah, I and, remember that yeah. well. and even though we had all this talent, we were four and 12 the year before. The only reason we believed we could be something was because of what Trent instilled in us. He came in, he knew the offense, he brought a confidence, he played well in preseason, and, and he got us believing like, oh my gosh, we can do something as a team. And you know, every team needs that catalyst to teach us that, you know, that we can, you know, to believe that we can do something. That belief that I talked about as a leader, Trent brought that to us. And so I was able to kind of take over from what Trent had started that year. And so that was the first thing is I wanted to recognize the fact that a big part of why I had the early success and, and won the MVP and we won a Super Bowl was because of Trent and what he did for our team. And too many people forgot that part of it. The second thing was he was such an unbelievable classy teammate in the fact that A, every question I asked him, he answered. He spent time with me when I was you know, he was trying to compete. He was trying to put his best foot forward. He was trying to become the quarterback that he knew he could be. And he didn't ever hesitate to give me every secret, every question I, I asked, he answered and, and he gave me the depth of it. And that was, you know, while we were competing together, you know, while he was going into the season. And then he got injured. And everything that he wanted and everything that he had worked for and everything that was supposed to be his, in essence, became mine that we started having success. And I started making the run for the MVP and we end up winning the Super Bowl. And there's no doubt that there's a human component to all of us. And, you know, it's easy for us to say, oh yeah, you know, I got injured, he took over, he was having a great run and I was over on the sideline just cheering him on the whole way. Man, we know that there's the devil on the other side that says, I don't want him to be that good. Not that I don't want him to be, but I don't want him to take my job. That's supposed to be me. And it's easy to get bitter. And Trent never let that get in the way of him being the best teammate he could possibly be. Him supporting me and him showing up every day and him wanting to be the starter and being in my place, but not letting that affect the information that he gave me or uh, affect my ability to enjoy the moment. He was just an incredible teammate. And as I mentioned earlier in this, I would end up becoming a, a you know, I, I would end up being bent, be benched uh, three times in my career in St. Louis, in New York, and then once again in Arizona. And a big reason why I was able to be the teammate and handle the situations the way I was, was because I had a guy that modeled that for me. I had a guy that led me in how to, how to play that role and how to be the best teammate imaginable, even when you're in a circumstance you don't wanna be in. And so he meant so much to my career, both on the field and off the field. And, um, and it really shaped a huge part of who I would become uh, throughout the rest of my career and the impact that I would have on other people. And so I felt it was extremely important in that moment to recognize those things that he did for me. And I, you know, I said there, it could easily be him up here instead of me. Had he not been injured and had we had that team and his skill set, he could easily be the one standing up there with the bust in Canton. But I wanted to recognize that I wouldn't have been there without him. And so those two guys were so instrumental in who I am and where I'm at. Um, and so I appreciate you asking about them and specifically asking about Trent because he deserves so much credit that he's never going to get. 
and people are always going to forget that he was a part of that and maybe the biggest part of, of you know us going and making that run but he was so instrumental for me and uh, I just I don't even know how to thank him you know mentioning him in the Hall of Fame is in, in that speech is still not enough for what he gave and what he modeled for me as a leader uh, just I just I, I you know I can't say enough I could talk about him forever he's just that kind of class human being and, and you know I hope maybe one day a teammate of mine mentions me in their Hall of Fame speech and it has nothing to do with the fact that I threw a touchdown pass or I led them to a Super Bowl. It was about the human being that I was like Trent was uh, in, in my life. What's amazing is we spent time together. You know, a lot of people may be listening, watching this, saying, hey, I just want to hear about Marshall Falk and Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt <laughs> right. and the greatest show on turf and the Arizona run. And, and I get that. But guess what? You can go to NFL Network. You can get that. That's all in NFL Films. Mm-hmm. I think what's fascinating is how much you have to offer, Kurt. And I've always admired this about you is uh, you're a teacher. You know, I watched, we were doing TV at the same time, and I would text you. You were the only other guy I would watch because I would learn something from you. And then that would help me be a better analyst at ESPN, even though you're with NFL Network. And and now, people, he has so much to offer. He's giving back to the football community. He's coaching high school football, but he's doing something really neat, and I want to give him time to share. He started something called QB Confidential. And, Kurt, really, I think the fascinating part about this, you can get in as much of the content as you want, and tell people where to find it, but it's how you took advantage of quarantine. Because really, a lot of people sat and were miserable, didn't know what to do, binge watch TV. Instead, you got up every single morning and did what? During the pandemic, normally in the off season, I'm traveling, I'm speaking, I'm doing different things, different engagements, and you know, the world stops. And so now all of a sudden I've got, you know, these three, four, five months to go, okay, what am I gonna do? And as I had always thought about developing a platform, I'm like, here's my moment, here's my chance. Uh, you know, so I started, you know, outlining what I wanted to do and the components that I wanted to have. And ultimately I would create QB Confidential out of it. And it is a teaching and instruction platform for, for coaches and for quarterbacks. Uh, so really any offensive coach and, you know, specifically from the perspective of a quarterback, because that's what I know. And uh, I think it's the most comprehensive uh, platform that's out there and it touches on blackboard so we talk about football iq the stuff i was talking about what is cover four how do we attack cover four what are the responsibilities of guys within cover four the, the basics of football so you can start to understand uh we go on the field it's what i call abcs for arm body and core uh teaching the fundamentals of how to throw of football and you know the first year you know i'm starting to, to film the second year but the first year is really fundamental from starting with how do you warm up what's the true engagement of your body to, to be able to throw working up to throwing on the run and, and you know how do you you drop in the gun all the little technique individual stuff then i go into the playbook one of my greatest passions and one of the things that i believe makes separates good quarterbacks or great quarterbacks from good quarterbacks is the understanding of the why of every single play. I just, I love the platform. And the feedback has been incredible from coaches and players and the nuances. And like I said, this is, to me, it's a way to go, okay, now everybody can, I can coach everybody, right? And one of the first lessons that that I have on there, Trent, I I know you've watched some of it, but one of the first things I say is, don't just take what I say on here and think that it's gospel. Don't just go, oh, well, Kurt Warner said it, so it's true. I want people to challenge what they believe and challenge everything that I say. I love that piece of it because I've got such a passion for our game and I got such a passion for the next generation that I want to see everybody succeed. And the guys that can't go pay $75 for a coaching session with, you know, a top level, you know, quarterback guru that can't go to the, you know, to the best high school and have all the best coaching and have a staff of so many that can help them. Here's a tool that they can have for a small price, you know, I say it's, you know, it's a movie ticket. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a value meal. You can get 25, 30 segments in a month, you know, for less than $10. And you can get all this knowledge and you can build all of this stuff and everybody can have access to it. But I love coaching the game. I just feel like there's too much knowledge there that everybody needs um, that I just want to get it in everybody's hands. I want everybody to just check it out uh, because I think it will make, 
you know, we say it'll make, you know, better quarterbacks, smarter coaches and more informed fans. And I love doing it and I love building it. And it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. But it's also, I think, part of my legacy, you know, is that the beautiful thing, as we know, is this will live forever. Right. As long as you throw it out on the Internet, uh, there is going to be new quarterbacks and new coaches next year. And then the year after that. And then 20 years down the road, there's going to be guys that are still want to coach quarterbacks and still want to know about the game. And this is the beautiful thing is I bottle this up and I can keep it out there and it can be a tool for people to use for generations to come. Um, and that's why I created it in the pandemic. As crazy as it was, gave me the opportunity to build something that I believe uh, will be a big legacy for me one day. And again, I don't care if I ever get credit for it. I just know that it's going to impact a lot of coaches and players. I'm always trying to grow. Uh, those of you who know my story, uh, if you don't know my career, my career is very forgettable. But in 2000, I started studying every quarterback that had made a Pro Bowl or won a Super Bowl. Uh, I believe I've studied the position as hard as anyone. Don't not saying I know more, but I've studied it as hard as anyone. And Kurt sends me this, and I finally get around to watching it, and I'm addicted. I've learned more watching quarterback <laughs> keep you confidential uh, than I did in the 10 years studying all the guys around the country. If you care about your craft, if you are a coach that wants to coach this position better, if you are a quarterback that wants to know this position better and know the nuance behind it, there's a, not a product close to this. Last thing, Kurt, you've been super gracious with your time. We've gone way longer than I expected you. I appreciate you, but we got to talk about the movie, right? We got to talk about American Underdog. Uh, give us the release date. Don't spoil anything, but I got to believe the story of you and Brenda's in there. I'm, I'm hoping that's as much of a threat in this as it is the journey of quarterbacking. Go ahead and plug the movie. Tell us when the release date is, and we'll, we'll put a bow on this. So as of right now, the release date is December 10th in theaters, um, and we're extremely excited about it. And the movie is called American Underdog. And... Uh, you know, the, the movie is actually, you know, I mean, you know, back in 1999, we won the Super Bowl and I did the Dizzy commercial and, and all that stuff. And, you know, everybody knew the kind of the journey at that time. And everybody said, hey, now this is a movie that's that's made for Hollywood. It's made for the big screen. So then I retired and we've been working on this movie for 10 years. And the reason we've been working on it for 10 years is because my wife and I always said that we're not going to make a movie just to make a movie. Right. I, I know we can throw it up there and I know we can do the football part of it. And, and I'm sure it will inspire some people. But that's not the movie that I want to make. Is that a part of it? Of course, that's a part of it. Is that the landscape and the backdrop of it? Of course it is. But the story that I wanted to make was a true underdog story. And that to me is the coolest part of this journey is that you're going to get my underdog story. But there are going to be some other underdog stories in the mix at a time when our country finds ourselves in an underdog position with everything that we've gone through in the pandemic and, and people wondering, you know, kind of having their, their super, uh, you know, their, their supermarket moment, right? Where, okay, how did I go from here to where I'm at right now, trying to survive and trying to figure out how I'm going to get back to where I want to be or how I'm going to accomplish my dream. And so there's, there's layers within this story of the underdog and it's a relationship story and it is a football movie and it is a, a movie about being able to overcome all odds no matter where you find yourself. And what I love about it is that it is going to connect with, I believe everybody that steps into that theater. You know, people are gonna say, like you said, well, we know the story, right? Oh, I, I know Kurt Warner's story, but you don't know the whole story and you don't know what got me there and the people that got me there and the relationships and um, you know, the underlying things that motivated me throughout uh, the journey. And that to me is what this movie is all about at a time when our country and really the world needs a movie like this to be inspired, to be encouraged and to say, okay, wherever I find myself right now, this doesn't have to be the end game, that there is the possibilities, you know, that nothing is impossible. But I'm extremely excited uh, and proud to be able to share this story uh, with the masses and have the ability to hopefully impact people in a way where they leave, they leave the, the theater uh, or, you know, get off their couch after watching the movie and say, you know what? I know that this isn't where it's going to end. My circumstances don't have to define me and I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep fighting and I'm going to try to step into my purpose and be the, be the best person that I can be. And so we're pumped. We're excited about it. It's uh, you know, it's crazy where you start, and where you end and, and, and what's out there and what God places in front of you. But we're extremely excited about 
sharing this movie with everybody. Kurt, thank you so much. And thank Brenda for the kids for giving us your time. Uh, I know you squeeze us in between dinner and a couple other different things. So you're a super busy man. I can't thank you enough for doing this. Um, appreciate you, man. Love you. And uh, just just proud of what you're doing. I appreciate you, my man. I appreciate you doing this. Uh, and that's one thing that I've always appreciated about you as well is that you want to give back and you want to impact the next generation. And um, it's cool when you have guys that uh, have had their career, but they say to themselves, man, I want that to be the last thing that somebody talks about. I want them to talk about what I'm doing now and how I'm impacting them and, and, and what you do. So I, I appreciate your doing this and you're going beyond the X's and O's. And I apologize for my lighting. When we started this, it was bright outside and I realized I didn't have a very good room with lighting in here. So it got dark. It looks like I'm in the corner of my garage. So I apologize for that. But, uh, but I appreciate being on and I, and I hope we can do this again. And I look forward to crossing paths in the near future. Man, that was an awesome conversation with Kurt. So thankful he decided to come on and spend some time with us. We'll see you next week on Beyond the X's and O's. Now is the time to celebrate. The first NFL Sunday of the season is about to kick off. And DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the NFL, is putting you in the center of this week's action. New customers can get a free shot at a $1 million top prize with their first deposit by signing up using code DILFER. Get in on the action now. It's simple. Just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Feel the NFL action like never before with a free shot at a million-dollar payday. Download the DraftKings app now and use code DILFER. This week, new customers get a free shot at the $1 million top prize and compete for millions in prizes across all contests. Enter code DILFER to get a free shot at the $1 million top prize with your first deposit. That's code DILFER only at DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the NFL. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details.